This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Achut Deng was a child living through the Sudanese Civil War, fighting for her life as she escaped Sudan to a Kenyan refugee camp. She was a teenager when she arrived in the United States as a refugee. And she was a mother, still carrying the secret weight of her history, when she decided to share her story with her sons. Imagine that moment. Well, Achute writes about her life in Sudan and America in her new memoir, Don't Look Back, a memoir of war, survival, and my journey from Sudan to America, which she co-wrote with Keeley Hutton. And Achute joins us from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Welcome to On Point. Hello. Um, thank you so much for having me. Um, first of all, how are you doing today? I am doing great. A little a little cold outside, but I'm I'm doing I'm doing well. Okay, good. Um, I wonder if I could just start with this question. Um, you know, before you decided to tell your your sons about your whole story uh, about your life before you came to the United States, did they know any of it at all? All they knew was that mom grew up in the refugee camp as an orphan, and that was it. And Everything that, else, I, I hide from them. Uh, tell me why, um, for those many years before you decided to tell your sons, why did you feel that you couldn't or wouldn't? For so many reasons. I, I felt, because my past, I have a lot of... Um, it's full of pain, um, embarrassment, and also I, I know I, I'm raising three boys. So I didn't want to remind myself and then have to, to deal with my past. And so for me, I wanted to focus on how to move forward mm-hmm. and not and not be reminded of my past. So for me, I just wanted to focus on what to do and what to give my son going forward and not be reminded of my past. Mm -hmm. That was my focus. Yeah. I have to tell you, it makes perfect sense to me, right? Because when you're trying to build a new life, um, one that's so different from the one you led before, and you're trying to build a life for your children as well, it makes total sense to me that, um, uh, well, to take the title from your book, that you wouldn't want to look back on what you had left behind. So yes. can so can you tell me about the moment where you decided you were going to tell your children uh, about your life before the United States? That moment, um, I was. We were at the uh, laundromat. And I, I told them uh, the decision um, that, hey, uh, my three boys' names are Quick, Ding, and Mayam. I told them that um, I have this opportunity and this is what mom wants to do. Mom have a very crazy past and I have decided to, to open up. I want you guys to, you know, you motivated me in so many ways. And I am so grateful. I am here today, uh, strong because of you, and 
Because of that, I'm tired of running from my past. I can only protect you from the world. And I tell all three of you to be open with me. Tell me anything, no matter how bad it is. I should also be open enough to tell you anything, no matter what. So I'm here with my past. I wanted to let you know, no matter how bad it is, that here is my past and what what is behind this strong woman, what is behind this strong mother. Mm. And so that's how I approached the situation. That's how I told them that I, this is what I've been through and this is how I want to tell the world. But before the world, I wanted to let you guys know what is behind this strong mom. Mm-hmm. How old were they when you made that decision? This was three years ago, so they were 13, um, 13, 12, and my young were six. Six, okay. So you told them while you were in the laundromat that you were going to share your life uh, before you came to the United States, details of that. Yes. Where were you when you actually did start telling them that story? I was um, I was at the laundromat um, here in Sioux Falls. Okay. Um, yeah. It and that laundromat is right on uh, East End Street. I see. And uh, the the laun you know we had already put our clothes in uh, in the laundry in the washer, and uh, we went and grabbed something to eat. And I sat down with them. Oh. It was I was so nervous, but at the same time I knew I was ready for a change for myself. And I wanted to have a better relationship with my boys. Mm-hmm. I wanted, going forward, again, like I said, I wanted to protect my children from the world. Uh, and that's exactly what, you know, my grandmother did shield me the night she died. You know, um, she didn't want me to see the worst in people. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do the same thing for my boys. Um, I'm protecting them from the world, but I should not be afraid yeah. to tell them what I've been through. So as you're there sitting um, o- over a meal with your three sons, what part of your story did you begin with when you told them? So my middle son, Quick, said, Mom, can you tell us, give us an example of your past? And the first thing that came to mind was that, do you guys know the reason I don't sleep in my bed um, around 4th of July. And I did not expect my younger one to know. And um, the, my two, uh, and those two was like, well, we always thought it was because maybe you didn't want to sleep in your bedroom. And I told them 4th of July, ever since I came to America, and that first 4th of July in 2001, no one told me Independence Day was 4th of July. So what that does to me, it put me back to the war zone every year. So for me, I don't, that's the reason why I don't sleep in my bedroom. I come to the living room because 4th of July fireworks remind me of the gunshot from when I left my village. And they goes right away. It was like, they they didn't they had no idea, and so they goes right away. Mom, we don't have to celebrate Fourth of July. You don't have to buy 
fireworks because I buy fireworks for them every year. And so I told him, no, this is part of your history. You guys are American. You were born here. And my past is not going to take away your history. I, I'm aware. I'm aware of my past. I'm aware of that little girl. Mm-hmm. So that is something that you don't have to worry about. But that is my past. And so, dang, my oldest son said, okay, mom, whatever you decide, we are going to support you, and we will be there every step of the way. And how old were you when those gunshots that you described um, that were raining down on your village happened? How old were you? This was 1991. I was six years old. Exactly the same age as your youngest son was when you told them about that. Yes. Yes. So when I was telling them that, and I'm, and I'm, looking, and I'm looking at my youngest son, it was terrifying, but I knew this was it for me. I, I am done running from my past. It is time for me to look back. Yes, my, as the title say, don't look back. That title has been a thing for me, has been my motivation for me not to look back, and I'm thankful for that. But again, I wanted to revisit it so I can heal myself and so my, my three boys can understand what their mother has been through and, again, so the world can understand mm-hmm. what damage has been done to this strong mom, mm-hmm. but yet she's able to pick up herself and she's still fighting yeah. to go forward. So your youngest... Um Did he realize, I mean, did you say that you were six years old when that happened? Yes. So as as we were talking at the laundry um, about this, um, and I told him, um, he did not, you know, he did not try to say, you know, I'm I'm six years old, but he was was listening Mm -hmm. um, of what, you know, this is what happened to mom. Um, so you don't like firework, mom? That was his first question. Mm-hmm. Mom, you don't like p- fireworks? And I told him it's not because I don't like fireworks. They remind me of my past. But I don't hate fireworks. It's just it remind me at, at what happened when I was six years old, when I was seven years old. It take me back to the war zone at that particular moment. But the great thing is, I'm aware of that. Mm-hmm. So I don't go crazy. Mom don't go crazy because she's aware of that. Mm. You know, I'm thinking about what uh, you can see in even children that young, right? Six, seven, eight. When you tell them something deep about, you know, profound about yourself as, as a parent and especially a mother, oftentimes, you know, there's just sort of that look. They may not say anything. But you know that they're thinking and processing and trying to understand and figure out, like, does it, you know, what does this mean for this person, this mother that loves me more than anything else? And it is so perfectly pure for a six-year-old to say, 
well, does that mean that you don't like fireworks? I mean, I think that that's exactly how he should have been processing that moment. And it was it's quite incredible, Achut. So when we come back, we'll hear more details of the story that you told your sons and are now telling the world. This is On Point. Support for the On Point podcast comes from Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash On Point. That's Indeed.com slash On Point. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future. Five consecutive episodes right here. So make sure you're following this podcast. This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty, and today Achut Deng joins us. She's the author of a memoir called Don't Look Back, a memoir of war, survival, and my journey from Sudan to America. And we have an excerpt of it at onpointradio.org. Well, Achut, I'm wondering if you could begin to tell us more of the story that you did tell your your sons. Tell us about um, what happened that caused, that forced you as a six-year-old to leave your village in Sudan? It is not. Um, my village in in South Sudan were just an awesome village at the time. It was me, my grandmother. Uh, my mom at the time of the terrorist attack was not there. She had left to go take care of, uh, of my father uh, because my father... Um, went to the, had left, went, he actually didn't leave. He was forced to join the SPLA, uh, join the military. Mm-hmm. And so it was me, my grandmother, and, uh, and my uncle and my aunt uh, in our, in the Ding compound. And then all of a sudden, one night, we were forced to leave the Ding compound um, by a gun gunshot and uh, and that um, my understanding that night it was I didn't understand um, it was just the rubble um, and that was it between uh, one tribe to to another um, whether it was politic whether it was what I didn't understand it at the time, all I knew we had a war between South Sudan and 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 the North Sudanese, and that was at the time it was explained it was because of uh, a, a religion. But the terrorist attack, uh, the rebel attack that night, I didn't understand, mm-hmm. and so um, 
days later, um, I lost my grandmother. Can you tell us what happened? Days later in the hut, um, my grandmother and I went to um, Powell, and uh, the rebel came through and uh, attacked the village my grandmother and I were in. Um, I heard, you know, when they came through, they were speaking Dinka. So my first thought, it was that these people are coming in for help. But my grandmother said, wait, shoot. So we waited. Next thing I know, um, the people that was speaking Dinka changed the language to a different language. Mm. Um, next thing I know, my grandmother took the malaya. Malaya is kind of looked like a, a bed sheet. Mm-hmm. And she put that over me. And uh, so she covered my, my head, my face. And uh, the last thing I heard, her last word was that, you are strong. That's the last thing I heard from my grandmother. Um, I didn't hear her heartbeat after that. Um, then after a while, the rebel left. And that's the last I heard from my grandmother. Again, not knowing and not not ever seeing a dead person. Her eye was still open. And so That night, um, we were rescued by the SPLA, and um, that's when one of the soldiers told me um, that my grandmother was gone. She was dead. I have to just say thank you. I know this is hard. Um, and uh, if there ever comes a point, uh, a chute where you want to stop telling the story, please do let me know. I will completely understand. Because um, the pain never really goes away when losing someone, but especially losing someone you love so dearly like that. It never goes away, and the images never goes away. Mm-hmm. And that's why it took me this long to revisit. That's why her advice will always be, will always stay with me. Don't look back. Mm-hmm. It will only slow down you down. She's the one who told you that. She is the one. That night of a terrorist. Because my my feet swole up, and the gunshot were very heavy. 
I was scared. Um, children are crying. Women are crying. People, it was just people crying everywhere. And so I keep looking back, and she was holding my hand, and she said, Achute, don't look back. Huh. It will only slow you down. So all the images, her voice, I tried all these years to remember that. Every time I have the image or have flashback, I remember that. I remember her telling me not to look back. It will slow you down. I remember her telling me how strong I am. So no matter how hard the story is, she left something in me. Mm -hmm. And I can't let her down. I can't let myself down. And especially now, having a generation for me to raise. Mm -hmm. I can't let my kids down. My past was never my choice. But now, going forward, is my choice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you, you had mentioned that it was uh, soldiers after your... After your grandmother had been killed, it was soldiers who came um, and uh, rescued you, for lack of a better word. And um, it was with those soldiers that you uh, took the long journey to, to Kenya, to the refugee camp. Is that right? So those soldiers took me to um, another uh, city, mm -hmm. uh, to Gakuam, where later on we were... Um, we we ran into an ambush, mm. uh, and so we ran into we were uh, we ran into an, an ambush, and I have I didn't see them after that. And so another lady um, uh, took took me in. Um, her name is Adual, and so she took care of me from Gakuam to Bo Town. And so we were um, after we got into an ambush. By the northern, um, by the G uh, GOS, by the northern government, they took us. Now it's not the SPLA. It's not the southern. Um, mm -hmm. It's not the southern Sudanese army. It is now the northern government that took us to Boer Town, and so this um, this awesome lady. Her name is uh, Adwal, uh, which um, she's also. Another another mother, yeah, in the book, yeah, who took care of me from Boer Town all the way to Kakuma Refugee Camp. Hmm. But even before, um, uh, you, your life intersects with Adwal. Uh, there's just getting to just getting to that other town involved like just horrific hardship. A river crossing with you and three hundred other people, where. Fifty people died trying to cross the river to safety. I mean, it's uh, 
you know, if we didn't already know so much about what has happened in Sudan, it would be hard to believe that um, these things were happening to children as young as you, and yet they were. I'm just wondering, again, in your your six-year-old mind as you were experiencing these things, like... What was hap- what was happening in your mind? How did you when night came or the or the uh, the rare times you were able to rest before you know getting to places of safety? What was going through your mind? How did your body feel? Getting to places like this, um, you don't you know you just only hope you lose hope and then you have to gain it back. And having people who who have words, and again, knowing knowing that this is it, you know, if if you survive now, you just have hope for later, mm-hmm. and that was it. You survive just now. You have hope for later. At the time, there was so many times, a few nights before my grandmother passed, that I have give up. My feet couldn't go. My little legs was tired. And then going to Boar Town, we had to, like, clean up and pick up the skeletons, the human remains. You know, at that moment, all you can, again, you survive the now. Mm. And you have hope for the later. That's all you have as, as a child. And again, it, the way I, I take it, it's like, what do you do? You have fear, and you have people that are telling you it'll be okay when you know this is not okay. Mm-hmm. This is absolutely not okay. But you have people that are telling you, it will be okay, even though you are removing human remains and then you sleep there. And you had to do but, this. And you have to do this. Yet someone is telling you it will be okay. When I had the guinea worms, I never had them in the village. Don't know how to treat it. Don't know how to take them off. But I had a dwell there who never had a child, but knew had she had the heart of a human being. She had that kind heart that I saw from my grandmother. She knew how to take care of children that were never hers. Mm-hmm. She took off the guinea worms on my little feet. And then she's telling me, Achute, we got to keep moving. Mm-hmm. We have to find shelter. We have to, we have to make it to another place that is better than where we are now. I know your little leg is hurting, but we got to keep going. You cry until you are done crying, like till there is no more tears. So having po- having people in your corner that are very positive. That's, I feel like that's what motivated me. I lost my grandmother, and then the soldiers showed up. And these soldiers had, they were human. Mm -hmm. 
one soldier were able to tell me, "You have to hold on to my shoulder, and if you let my if you let your hand go, my little hand go, while my just my leg was just tingling in the water, he tell me if you let your hand go, it you you are gone." Okay, if you tell if I tell my son that today, he'll be traumatized. But at the time, that's all you know. He was telling me the truth. Yeah, I needed to hear that, so I hold on to him. Mm-hmm. You know, in the book, you write about how uh, her hope that you just described. You, you you call it like the flame that lit the way for both of you as you walked. I don't know, hun- hundreds of miles? Yes. Uh, across very unforgiving terrain to ultimately get to to safety. I mean, how long did that journey take? I would say it took forever. <laughs> yeah. It took, yeah. It took a long time. Um, but, again, it was hope. We made it there with nothing but hope. I, you know, it's just there were some days we didn't have food. Um, and I told my my boys this, and they couldn't believe it. We didn't have food. And if there was no food and you were starving, you take the dry dirt. This were, we were told by the other women, take the dry dirt. It will make you feel thirsty, and you drink the water, now your stomach is going to fill with water and the dirt, and you just keep on walking. We did that. When I told my boys that, it was like, oh, my God, Mom. I'm like, yep, you have that chance to call me a mother today mm-hmm. because of those moments. So the walk was very long. But again, you are watching other children walking with you. Some other children are dying as well, but you leave them there. You know, you dig a shallow grave, put them there. You see other, you see mothers in pain. You see siblings in pain, but those who are still alive have hope to get up and join the group and keep moving. You look at them and you just, and that motivates you. It gives you hope. Mm-hmm. Well, Achu, hang on here for just a minute because there's so much more to your journey that we'd like to hear. And we'll do so when we come back. This is On Point. Did you kill Marlene Johnson? I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair, a new podcast about an unsolved murder that will leave you questioning everything. Somebody should be in jail for murdering my sister. A woman who's never been believed. As long as they think I have done this, then they're not looking for who actually did this. And that's what makes it a cold case. No, it's a botched case. And a search for the truth, once and for all. 
Wow, it just gets more interesting. Beyond All Repair. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Be careful. You're digging in a place that's been very peaceful for a while. Do it anyway. Dig. This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty, and Achut Deng is our guest today. She's author of a memoir called Don't Look Back, a memoir of war, survival, and my journey from Sudan to America. It's co-written with Keely Hutton. Achut, you know, I can't stop looking at those first three words in your, uh, in your memoir, the first three, the title, <laughs> what your grandmother told you about Don't Look Back. Because, and I hope you don't mind me saying, I think that this is a, a belief or a way of being that is extremely common amongst immigrants to this country, uh, especially immigrants who come from very, very difficult circumstances. Um, I mean, m- you know, my, my parents grew up in India. They, they didn't have the kinds of hardships, the war-torn hardships that you had to experience they had some hardships of their own, though. And this just resonates so powerfully with me, Achute, because, like, you know, my, my father, he didn't, he lived the don't look back <laughs> philosophy. Yeah. Also, he didn't even go back to India for 30 years after arriving in the United States. And he often wouldn't tell me about stories of his growing up until later. And I, as a child of... Of an of a immigrant American, I can tell you every time he did like give me a little glimpse as to what uh, you know the times that his family was facing possible starvation or they lost a, a home every now and then as well. Um, I drank it almost like it was like holy water because it made my parents so much more profoundly human to me. Right, rather than just there being this superhuman, hardworking immigrant parents, they became human beings to me when they told me these stories. And all of a sudden, so much of who they were and how they behaved and the decisions they made and the attitudes they had about life made so much more sense to me. It really felt like a gift, the humanizing <laughs> gift. Yeah. And I'm wondering if that's how your <clears throat> Your sons felt when you shared these just profound things that had happened to you. That is that is exactly how they felt, um, because being a refugee and an immigrant, you know, you literally walk to America or came to America. I did not walk to America. I came by uh, plane, right? Mm-hmm. But coming to America. It's like you came with nothing but just papers. When I arrived December 21st, year 2000, all I had with me was just an open-toe shoes, a skirt, and a sweater. The clothes I had on was given to me by UNACR in Kakuma Refugee Camp. That's it. And a little plastic bag with my documentation that I am a lost girl coming to America. That was it. That's all I had. And so 
for my boys, when I told them they're, you know, I'm very not not too strict. But here is a perfect example. Uh, they those two are in high school. When I bought a house two years ago, I told them there is no room for a C mm-hmm. in this house. And my oldest son, well, mom, you had an F in high school. And I hope I can say this because this, is, this was the truth. I told both of them. I said, your mom also had a chance to be a substance abuse. I could have been a drug addict, but I'm not. I could have been a prostitute, for God's sake, but I'm not. I say my F was the F of faith. Faith was that what F stand for, was not an F for failure. Hmm. And my boys sat down and they said, Mom, we are sorry. And I say, no, things are going to happen. And if you happen to have a C, talk to me. We will find a way to get this done. But what I meant by saying there is no room for a C in this house, you have me to provide food, house, shoes, everything that I have that no one have ever provided to me when I came to this country. You have me. I have that. Whether I whether that mean I have to work four job, two job, I will provide that for you. And I'm also providing everything for my siblings back in Kakuma Refugee Camp that I have found. So now, when you say don't look back, that title Mm -hmm. is for every immigrant in this country. That is true. Because you come here and you work so hard so that you don't go back to that rock bottom because I know what that feels. So when I told my children my past, they now understand why mom have to work so hard 13 hours a day, 14 hours a day, because I know what it feel like to go to bed hungry, to go to bed, you know, with no food, go to bed with nothing but hope. I don't want my children to have that life. Mm-hmm. So now they understand, it, you know, relieving Relieving myself and letting them know what I have been through, it brought us together. So, yes, life of a refugee here in America, that title represents that. And mm-hmm. I hope the Amer- I am American. Mm-hmm. I got my citizenship. I worked myself from zero to where today I can proudly say I am uh, what is it called? Not from zero, but I work myself from zero class to middle class. Mm-hmm. And I'm proud of that. So being an immigrant, a refugee, that don't look back, title, do represent that. But that goes to everyone in American. Mm-hmm. There, you know, I have friends that are American that went through tough time as well. But when they read this book, it inspired them. Mm -hmm. You know, I can say with total certainty, Achute, that 
the gift that you've given your sons by telling them about your life will benefit them every single day of the rest of their lives because they will encounter, I'm speaking from experience here, they will make decisions in our lives, they will have tough, in their lives, they'll have tough moments, you know, as we all do, uh, just existing, etc. And something, a part of one of your stories will come to their minds and they will remember and it will help guide them in that moment in their lives. It will continue to inspire them and drive them and carry them down whatever paths they, they travel. I can guarantee that. And so I, I just, you've done a profound thing as a mother. Um, and, you know, I wonder if... Uh, <sighs> It's just a, you know, in a sense, it's a series in the, it's like one Thank more. Thank you. Well, I just, I just had to tell you that because I, yeah. like, I, like every oh single God. day, I'm telling you every single day, I, for years, I mean, I'm well into my adulthood now, but especially when, especially when I was a teenager, learning yeah. some of these stories and then in my young adulthood, they were, when I was trying to make difficult decisions in my life, those stories from my parents are the things that came to mind. And they were the guide, you know, they were like, they were the light that you talked about earlier. It was like their version of giving that light to me. And I know that you've done that for your sons. Thank you so much, Magna. Um, uh, Thank you. And so I just, you know, like that, that light glows so fiercely within you. I, I'm wondering <sighs> if you can just uh, bless us, if I can put it that way, with with one or two more moments of your journey because, you know, you talked about coming to America, but getting here was a huge challenge, right? You were in that Kenyan refugee camp for nine years, approximately. And then, as all people who are applying for refugee status have to do, you had to make your case. You had to make your case to why you should be allowed into the United States. What did you say? It was, I was a nervous wreck. You know, because when we got that, you know, oh, you have, you know, we had to rehearse. A lot of people had to like, oh, what you, you know, um, this, this are the thing we need to say to go to America to get the. So for me, I was, we were rehearsing, me and some other friends. But at that moment, I had a chance to sit right across. Interpreter was there. And this guy, this gentleman, he asked me a question. Why do you want to go to America? And I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm like, with all this other question and everything everybody wanted me to say, I'm going to be me. I'm going to tell the truth of how I feel because I'm tired. I'm giving up. My mom, I don't think she's alive anymore. I don't think my uncle Abraham, my, my aunt, and my father... I am here in the world alone. It's just me and my uncle, Andrew. That's it. So why should I just say something else? So this is what I, I told him. I said, I want life. And he looked, he looked at the, um, the, you know, the interpreter told this gentleman, she said, she wants life. What do you mean by that? You don't have life here? And I told him, I said, I am breathing, as you can see. I'm alive, but this is not life here in Kakuma refugee camp. What we have here, 
is hope to wake up tomorrow. Is hope that's all we have. Is hope for tomorrow, and that is not life. I want life, and that's how he granted me a chance to come to America. Hmm. Now, when all that hope, you know, when I came to America, there was more to that. Mm-hmm. I have faced more challenges. There were more challenges after I came to America, after I came to the U.S. Um, I attempted a suicide coming to America, something that I had never thought when I was in the refugee camp because death was all over the place in the refugee camp. Again, like I said, Kakuma refugee camp, there was not a life there. It was hope to live to wake up in the morning. But when I came to America, I felt so alone. I, didn't ha- I did not know how to speak English. So somebody else started taking advantage of me because he knew I was not going to be able to speak up. So I was being silent in the apartment. I was told to be quiet. If I speak up with the little English I knew, I was going to get deported. So I knew death was very far from me. So I have given up. I felt so alone in this great nation. I did not know how to speak English, how to express my feeling. It was only me. And that's something that the refugee, those who came, who come to this great nation, not knowing how to speak English, those are the challenges that we face. Those are the challenges that I did face. But my again, my Kokog, my grandmother, were able to show up when life left me with nothing but two things, a rope and a knife. My grandmother showed up and reminded me of how strong I was. So here I am today, hmm. Magna. Mm-hmm. She was there again when you needed her. Yes. Yeah. I want to be clear about what you're saying, though, that you know, for, for anyone who thinks that once someone is granted refugee status and they come to this country and all of a sudden it's easy living, nothing could be farther from the truth, right? I mean, what you're saying, and you write about it in heartbreaking detail in the book, is when you came to the United States, uh, you were abused, sexually assaulted, uh, manipulated um, by actually also someone who, if I remember correctly, Achute, uh, professed to be a man of faith as well. Um, am, I, am I remembering that correctly from the book? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's even from, from all that that you had to continue to work and build your new life here. You know, we, we only have a couple of minutes left, and um, I do hope people read your book because there's so much to your story and the lessons that you carry with you. But in the spirit of your grandmother, I'm wondering if for the last little bit of this show, if you might look ahead with me. <laughs> what, what do you want next in your life and in your son's life, lives? What I, would, what I want next is that my past is, is out now. What I would love to do next is be a motivational speaker. When 
when the idea of putting my my memoir in a book came up, a lot of people encouraged me to do the TED Talk. But I wanted to hold on to that because I wanted people to have the book in front of them. And now my memoir is out there. So my next is to be is to encourage people, empowered people, and I know I'm capable of that. So being a motivational speaker is my next one. You know, mm-hmm. I'm always a big dreamer. You know, I'm hoping that uh, one of the somebody out there is going to pick up. Don't look back and say, um, you know what, this can be a movie. Mm. You know, so that is. That is that. Yeah. And so. Well, and also regarding your sons, I, I know that you wish and hope and dream many things for them. And I, yeah. I hope they accomplish and live all of your dreams for them. But for now, even just, you know, being young boys and experiencing all the joys and challenges that a healthy and safe life have to offer Achut, I wish that for them. So, Achut Deng. Yes. The memoir is Don't Look Back, a memoir of war, survival, and my journey from Sudan to America. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me, Meghna. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. This is On Point.